So Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was a short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up to a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to him, or excuse me, and Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him um, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, um, Look, Lord, I, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And verse 9 it says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also uh, the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, so you guys have heard the story um, probably many times before. Um, um, it's a monster. Tom gave it to me. Thanks, Tom. Um, and, uh, and so you guys heard the story before. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background on what's been going on. Um, Jesus, um, everyone knows who Jesus is, and he's been kind of creating quite a buzz as he's um, heading towards Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem right now. Um, and... Uh, and the whole Gospel of Luke talks about Jesus setting his face uh, steadfastly towards Jerusalem um, for, to take on the, um, the sin of the world and to atone for, for your and my sins. And so this is the mission that Jesus is on. Um, and so just in chapter 17 and 18, we see a couple of things that Jesus does that would have um, created quite a, a buzz, I guess. Uh, verse seven, or chapter 17, it talks about Jesus cleansing the ten lepers in, um, in verses 11 through 19. And so obviously he says, hey, go, go show yourselves to the priests and, and you're going to be clean. And so they're like, all right. And then one guy comes back and he, he's clean. And so obviously that's pretty miraculous miracle right there. So he cleanses 10 lepers. And then chapter 18, he talks to this, this young guy, this young rich ruler um, in chapter 17. And, and he tells him that it'd be easier for um, a rich man or it'd be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it would be for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, which is just weird talk. Like, so, I mean, can you imagine like, camel going through a needle and it doesn't even make sense and yet jesus is saying this stuff and and so he's creating quite um you know he's, he's getting a bunch of people to come after him and, and follow him and i'd estimate um or people smarter than me some commentators estimate thousands of people just kind of traveling with him and and so uh here he, he comes to um he comes to this city called uh, jericho and he meets this guy named zacchaeus and if you guys read uh verse two it says now behold there was a man named zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich and so um, we know a couple things about Zacchaeus right off the bat. One, that he was a tax collector. One, that he was a uh, Jew because his, his name was a Hebrew name. And three, that he was rich. And then if you look down in verse 3, it says, uh, at the end of verse 3, it says, for he was a short stature. So we know he's a short guy too. And so we kind of get some background on Zacchaeus. And um, being, um, being a Jew, working for the Romans, um, being rich off of those people, and then being short, all bad things stacking up against him. Um, doesn't lead for a very nice guy. When I, as I was studying this and, and I was just reading um, over and over and over and over, and, and the picture that I kept on getting um, from Zacchaeus was like Danny DeVito. Um, I kept on picturing. <laughs> so you guys are welcome for that. Now you guys will think of Danny DeVito as I'm um, talking. And so Danny DeVito, um, he is 
He's rich. And the reason he, the way he got rich was off of other people. He was extorting his other fellow Jews uh, for, for money. And so obviously, you know, you're a Jew working for the enemy, the Ro- Rome, um, and that, it just leads to, uh, to bad things. And I just see Danny, or um, Zacchaeus, um, I wasn't, I wasn't even trying to do that and see it worked. Um, I, I see Zacchaeus as um, kind of maybe like the short guy complex or something, you know, like just mad about everything. Um, nothing, nothing, I had nothing against short people whatsoever, so don't get me wrong, Pastor Nick. I'm sorry. Um, but um, <laughs> don't get me wrong. But, um, but you didn't, you didn't get, he didn't get rich off of being nice. He didn't get rich off of being nice at all. He, uh, he got rich off of um, extorting people. He got rich off of um, just his, his attitude. And, you know, if you're the chief tax collector, that means you have other guys below you. That means you were, he was probably like a, a ruthless guy. And, um, and we see that he's, he's extorting these people. And so he's not, he's not liked. I don't know if you guys ever um, had that person or... Um, in your life that is like your boss or something like that, that's just like, oh, you like, you know, you need to submit to him, but, but you just can't because he's just like the worst. And, um, you know, like I, I've, I actually have never had that before. Thank the Lord. I've always got along real well with my employers and everything like that. But I can just imagine what it'd be like working for this guy. And um, he probably rode like the biggest donkey money could buy, you know, just like the biggest house, like just live this life of luxury. And, and, and um, you know, he wasn't a liked guy. And so you, you look at verse 3, though. Something um, very interesting happens here, and it says, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. And so Zacchaeus was, was rich. He had anything and everything he wanted. Um, he had money coming out the ears. He had anything, you know, what he wanted, he had at his fingertips. And yet he still has said that he, um, he sought to see who Jesus was. And the word sought in, in the Greek really means to crave or to desire. And this is how, G, or this is how Zacchaeus um, felt about Jesus. He craved and he desired Jesus. Um, he didn't even know Jesus. He just heard about him doing these miracles and, you know, heard about this guy that they're calling the Messiah. And so obviously you're kind of excited about it and you want to see what's going on, but he doesn't really know him. And yet he has a desire for him. You know, it talks about in the Old, uh, in the Old Testament, it talks about how God has written his law in our hearts and God has, has made us in his image. And so we naturally have that desire and that and that, um, that want for something more. You look at just the news, you look at just celebrities these days, you look at just anything and everything, and it all points to, to more and more and more. Um, you know, I, I got, I have my, my iPhone's back there, I got the 4S, like, I was, I was a few months late on getting it, but I was like so excited, it's got Siri, you could talk to it, and I don't use it as much as I, I thought I would, but it's still really cool to have, and, and so I'm like, yes, finally got it. And then, you know, iPhone 5's coming out soon, probably, like uh, September. So it's like, man, I got this awesome thing. Like, I've never had, like, a super nice phone before. I finally have a nice phone. And then, like, what, four months later, you got the iPhone 5 coming out? It's like, you never win. I bought the MacBook Pro, like, a year and a half ago with, like, our tax money. I'm like, yeah, you know, like, getting money back, sticking it to the kids, getting money back. And, um, and, well, and so I, I get... I get, like, my, my check, and so my wife and I, we go out, and we buy the MacBook, you know, spend a ton of money. I'm like, whoa, you know, like, way more money than I ever spent in my life. I bought a car, I think. This is the second most expensive thing I've bought beside my computer. And now I hear, Sean, I don't know if you're in here, you ruined my day the other day when you said that there's a new one coming out. Um, June 12th or something like that. There's another app. I hate Apple now. Because, um, you know, I, 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 the nicest things you have, you still don't have, you just, you can never obtain, like, the best. And so, um, 
Zacchaeus kind of had this, man. He had everything, and yet he still wanted more. He was still seeking more, and, and so he was still seeking after. He said, literally, it was to crave. Um, it was to, to crave, to, to want, or to desire more. That's what Zacchaeus, he sought to see. He desired to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. Um, the crowd blocks Jesus, or, uh, Zacchaeus' view of Jesus. Now, um, isn't that a sad truth in just society today that the crowd gets in the way of us coming to Jesus, seeing Jesus? The crowd gets in the way of um, our perception of who we say Jesus is. Uh, we allow the crowd to uh, dictate what we do, how we dress, what we wear. You know, um, the reason I have this curly mustache is because this beautiful young man right here, Travis, he's got one. I was like, that's a cool mustache. I'm going to grow mine. It's not nearly as cool as his, but it's because we, we desire to, to be like other people. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but that's, that's what's inside of us is we desire, we desire something, you know, and we allow the crowd to dictate what that thing that we desire for, you know, the iPhone or whatever. Maybe, maybe it's gadgets or something like that. Maybe it's, um, clothing. You, I, I work at the, the high schoolers and, uh, and the junior hires and they, um, they all like, this is no, no offense, but they all dress like the same, right? They're like, oh, okay, surfer kids, the skater kids, the, you know, the, tight pant kids, you know, and it just kind of, the list goes on, you know, um, and it, the reason they do that is because they want to look good, you know, the reason you guys, the ladies, you guys put makeup on is because you want to look good, guys, the reason why you, you know, do your hair or, or what, whatever it is, we want it, we want people's perception of us to be good, and there's nothing wrong with that, but when we take it too far, that's when it becomes sin, and so the crowd got in Zacchaeus's way of coming to Jesus, um, we can't allow the crowd getting in our way. Um, the crowd's opinions are, are what drives society in the world today. You know, why is there, you know, like, like Facebook and why is there, you know, just social media? It's because um, it's, it's a faster way to get out to, to people and to find out what they want. Why are there the stupid ads on the side? And they know exactly, like it says, oh, if, you know, youth ministry stuff. I'm like, how do they know that about me on Facebook? It's creepy. They're like stalking me, right? Like, do you guys have, you ever know that? Like on the side of your Facebook or whatever, you're like, how do they know? I was looking for that. It's really scary. It's like, man, they got bugged my house or something. You know, I'm not one of those conspiracy guys. But anyway, it's kind of weird, right? And so, um, but the reason they do that is because um, it's, it's the people is what dictates what goes on. Um, the people is what dictates what goes on in life today. Um, I see they rolled out the red carpets for me here today. And you, got, you guys can do a popcorn in the back. And, and the reason they, it's actually the play. I don't know if they told you that or anything, but Linfield's having a play. Stick around for it if you want. It's going to be awesome. But, um, but the reason, I mean, we cater to people just in general, right? Why is there waiters? Do you know, like in Europe, you don't, you don't tip, and like in China, you don't tip the waiter? I think it's glorious. It's like they're getting paid, cause, but they pay them way more than they pay them here, but they're getting paid to do their job. And so anyways, it, it's what, what the world wants, the world gets. That's what I'm getting at here. And, um, and Zacchaeus was crowded out by the world, crowded out by the crowd, and couldn't get to, Je- and couldn't get to Jesus. And so we see that, um, that he has a, he has a choice to make. Um, now, before we get to that choice, let's define the crowd. Um, the crowd can be that hypocritical Christian, right? That's, that you don't want to go to church because that hypocritical Christian in your life um, is keeping you away because if that's what a Christian's all about, I'm out. How many of you guys have ever been in that position or know someone like that? I think we all have, right? You got that family member that's like, yeah, I don't want to be anything like that, right? And so you don't, you don't seek after the Lord because of them. Because what we do is we look at the person instead of him, 
And so we allow um, family members to, to be the crowd in our lives. We allow the, we allow the hypocritical Christian to be the, um, the crowd in our life. We allow uh, coworkers to be the crowd. We let other people get in our way of coming to Jesus because we're worried about what they think. We do, certain way, uh, we, do, we do certain things because we want approval. But let's, what, what would the world look like? What would the world look like if um, human opinions didn't matter? Well, it only, humans kind of ruined everything here in Genesis by uh, coming on the scene here. But you look at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and part of 3, you don't have to turn there. But Genesis 1, 2, and like verse 6 or 7 of chapter 3, um, this is the only record that we have of, of, of pre, you know, pre-human, other than Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't care about anyone's opinion except for God's. They didn't care about their own opinions except for God's until what happened? Sin entered the world, right? Until the woman ruined everything. No, uh, until, uh, until Eve, um, or until Adam and Eve sinned, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're hanging out in the bushes because we're afraid that, uh, you know, someone's going to see us naked or whatever. And like, how did you even know you were naked? Like, they didn't, even ca- they didn't care about people's opinions until sin entered the world. And so people's opinions can become sin in our lives if that's what drives us. Now, Proverbs talks about, uh, Proverbs talks about, you know, um, there's wisdom and a multitude of counsel. You know, you, you look in Exodus when, um, when uh, Moses is like getting bombarded with all these, um, all these people's requests. He was supposed to be the judge for millions of people. And, and so his father-in-law comes and says, Jethro comes and, and says, you know, hey, look, you need to delegate some of this stuff. And so that was good wisdom, and it, and it saved him, right? And so there, there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel, but at the same time, we have to be careful of who we allow to counsel us. We have to be careful of who we allow to speak into our lives. Uh, me, working in this, uh, the youth ministry, with uh, the student ministry, with junior high and high school, and um, I have to earn the right to speak into their lives. If I were to say, Barrett, you do this, do that, do that, and he doesn't know me. He's going to be like, yeah, right, get out of here. But if I spend time and if I invest, then they're going to be more open to listen to what I have to say. So for those of you guys out there, um, like me, that's, that are really opinionated, um, we can't just start throwing out our opinions at people because unless we spend time with them, unless we're actually investing in their lives, then they have no reason, there's no reason for them to, to listen at all. And so Zacchaeus, he, he had a choice to make. Um, he sought to see Jesus, but he couldn't because of the crowd. So he very well could have said, oh, well, um, sorry, you know, I, I really tried. Like, I honestly tried to get there, but I couldn't. Now, you got to remember, Zacchaeus was short, so there was no way he was going to go through the crowd. He would have got gouged, elbowed, especially he was like the hated guy. There's no way he's going to weasel himself in with a, with a crowd of, of thousands of people. I mean, he probably wouldn't have made it out alive. So he had a legitimate concern of why he couldn't get to Jesus. And so he could have said, you know, I really tried, but, but I just couldn't. I mean, you could say, I, you know, I, I tried to come to church, but, you know, they, they took a tithe or money or they were talking about, I don't know, kids in Africa or something. I, I just, it was my thing, you know, or like, uh, you know, I know that person that goes to that church, so I'm not going to go to that church. So if you guys really knew me, you probably wouldn't come here. That's how, you know what I mean? Like, if you guys look to your left and look to your right, we're all a bunch of dirty sinners. I know. Me worse than you, I'm sure of it. You can ask my wife. She can back that up. But, um, but we can't allow people to dictate us coming to Jesus. Um, so he had two options. One, I tried. I couldn't. I would have been killed. I really wanted to. Or it's the second option. And you read verse 4. And this is exactly the way he reacted. It says, uh, So he ran, and, uh, ran ahead and climbed up a tree, or climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. 
And so Zacchaeus made the right decision. He, he didn't allow the crowd to dictate him getting to Jesus. And so he, he ran ahead. I mean, I don't know how far ahead. I, it doesn't really matter. It's just a funny sight seeing a little guy running and trying to climb a tree. Probably took him a while to climb the tree. So I'm assuming he probably had to go way ahead to get there so he can, you know, at least get a half an hour at cracking at the, getting up that tree. But um, anyways, he, he, finally, he finally climbed the tree. And so he's up there and... Um, I don't think for a second Zacchaeus actually thought that like he was going to talk to him or that he was going to like have a conversation with him. I thought he was just going to, I'm going to go up and literally see who this guy's all about. But he, he craved to see what he was about. So he ran ahead, climbed up a tree. And um, you guys remember that he's, he's filthy rich. I mean, he made his money being the chief tax collector, meaning he had other people underneath him. It was like a pyramid scheme, right? It's like the worst, right? So he had people underneath him making money. And so he was making money off those people and making money off of those people. And so he was, he was really rich. And, um, Running and climbing wasn't really his thing. Um, I'm sure of it. Um, I don't know. I've never really been too short in my life, but, um, but I'm vertically challenged this way, I guess, and climbing isn't really my thing. Um, I, I'm not into it. I, I don't want to try to climb. Um, funny story. I went and saw Mulan when it first came out, which is kind of embarrassing because I was like 13. Um, but uh, the Disney movie Mulan, because I, I was sharing the story with Sarah, and she's like, how old were you? I was like, I'm like eight. She's like, oh, let's... Siri, thanks a lot. So I Siri'd it, and she's like, oh, yeah, it came out in, like, 95 or, I don't know, however, I'm 28 now, so, yeah, whatever. You do the math. It came out when I was, like, 13, and I was, like, running, we're, like, parkour, like, thought we were really cool, you know, doing, like, parkour, and which is, like, running and jumping off stuff, just being stupid, and so I ran, and I tried to climb up this, like, high fire extinguisher, or, uh, what do you call those things, fire hydrant, and uh, I ate it, I, like, impaled my chest, and I broke my pinky, and I, I thought I broke my ribs, so I was laying there, like, crying on the side, and some guy walks by and was like, um, yeah, you probably got a broken rib, and goes on to his movie. I'm like, thanks, bud. Um, and so that's the last time I tried to climb anything. And so, um, that's really good. Um, where was that? Climbing. Yeah. So Zacchaeus, he, he didn't climb. Uh, it wasn't something he did, I'm sure. Um, but he did it anyway. He did it at the cost of um, humiliation by the crowd. He did it at the cost of looking dumb. And he, he, he put his uh, career on the line. He put his reputation on the line uh, and, and did it anyways because he was so desperate to see Jesus. And um, I think for, for, for you guys and for me, uh, I think if we were to put, uh, humble ourselves and put our pride aside for a minute and, and come to Jesus in those times where we think we've got it all handled, man, things would go so much more smooth. Smoother, smooth, however you say that, right? So, Things would be so much smoother in our lives. But we see Zacchaeus, he, he, he had a choice to make and he made the right choice. You know, he realized that he was a sinner, realized that um, he needed something. So, I mean, he had, a, he had a hole in in his life and he wasn't sure exactly what the hole was. And so he sought Jesus to find out. And if you look at Philippians chapter 3, um, Philippians chapter 3 and, uh, and verse, if I can find it. Verse 12. There it is. Uh, this is Paul. There it is. Um, Paul the Apostle, I mean, he wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament and um, just like a super godly guy. And he was a Pharisee. The Pharisee talks about very well educated. I mean, he was, um, you know, he was like Sanhedrin, like just the man as far as the like, Jewish law goes. And, and uh, he's he talking here, this is after his conversion. He says, in verse 12, he says, uh, not that I have already obtained or that I am are, uh, already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 
Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press forward to the goal for the, upward, or for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this was Zacchaeus' attitude. He said, I got to forget those things which are behind me. Um, plus, it's a long way down for a little guy. You know, he was, he was like, you know, I'm just abandoning everything. I'm going for it. He really went out on a limb for Jesus. Yeah, got it. All right. Yeah, it went over that way in 8 a.m. too. Um, I think they laughed more, more of the older crowd. So, um, but he really went out of his way to see Jesus. And, you know, he said, you know, I'm putting, forgetting those things which are behind me. You know, I need something. I don't know what I need. I just need something. And he pressed forward. He had to humble himself to come to Jesus. Um, he had to go out of his way to seek Jesus. Um, I think as Christians, we hear too often in church that um, all you have to do is just sit there and Jesus will come to you and save you and w- sweep you off your feet and you'll be walking on rainbows in no time, you know? And that's just not the truth. Um, the truth is that Jesus does seek and he's knocking. He talks about in Revelation that he's knocking. But what has to, I mean, Jesus could walk through walls if he wanted to. We saw that in the uh, upper room, right? After his death and resurrection, I mean, he just, teleports in the room. I don't know how he did it, but it was probably freaky. And he just did it. So it's not like he can't walk through walls. It's not like he can't walk into our lives, but he won't unless you open the door. And that's the key. It, it, it requires a relationship. I, I tell the, the high school students all the time that how many, how often, I mean, texting is huge. You know, like, there's probably like at least 150 text messages sent out during my messages, guaranteed. Um, and, and so I tell them, that person that you're texting right now, and they're like, I'm, I'm, my Bible, and they switch real quick to the app. I'm like, darn. Um, but I know what they're really doing. Like that, you can't, you can't have a relationship with someone that you don't spend time with. That person you're texting, you obviously have a relationship with them because you're, you're communicating with them. And so the same thing, we have to communicate with Jesus, but uh, the relationship with Jesus is, is twofold. It's one, you got to come to Jesus, or Jesus comes to you, but you've got to receive him. You look at verse, um, back to Luke chapter 19. If, if you look at... Um, in verse 6, it says, so he, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And that was Zacchaeus' response, is, is that he received him joyfully. It's not that, you know, hey, Zacchaeus was a sinner, blew it. He just stood there and Jesus just said, hey, you're saved now. Go and do whatever. That's not what happened. Seeking Jesus isn't easy. If it were, everyone would be doing it. Could you imagine what the world would look like today if everyone was just like, you guys ever seen that movie like, um, Pleasantville, where everything's all like black and white, and it's all like, you know, they shoot the basketball, and there's like 30 shots go in, and all of a sudden, like, sin starts coming in the world, and it turns all the color. It's like the world isn't like black and white, where everything is just, you know, fine and dandy, everyone wearing their hair like this, and um, tucked in their shirts, and, um, you know, that's not reality. Reality is that life is tough, and things are are tough, and and seeking Jesus is, is really tough, especially in the world today, because everything is pulling you down. You know, there's only one way up, and yet everyone's pulling you down, down, down. You know, the analogy, if you, you get up on a chair and I find the smallest junior higher in the room and I try to pull them up with me on the chair, they're going to win every time because of leverage. They're going to be able to pull me down. And, and that's what the world is doing. The world is pulling us down. And, and yet God calls us to climb up that tree and to seek him no matter what. Because when we do that, Christ will abide in our lives. Verse six, it says that, uh, or excuse me, verse five, it says, uh, and when Jesus came to him, uh, he, he, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste today um, and, and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I must stay. 
That word stay um, is, is minnow. I'm not a Greek guy, but yep, minnow, M-E-N-O, um, which means to abide. That's what that word means. It means to abide. If you guys ever read um, John 15 before, chapter 15, it's all about abiding in Christ. And, and he, is, he is the branch, and, and or, you know, he is the vine dresser. We are the vines, and we must abide in him. And, and what Jesus said to him is, Zacchaeus, come down, for today I must abide in your life. That word abide, um, the word abide means to, to remain, to not depart, to continue to be present, to be held, and to be kept continually. That's what that word means. Christ wants to be present in your life. He wants to abide in your life. And no matter if you're on day one of Christianity or, you know, been a Christian longer than I've been alive, the principle is the same, that Christ must abide in our lives. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy once he abides. It's actually the exact opposite. If you look at John chapter 15, it talks about if you abide in me and you're bearing fruit, what happens? He prunes us. It's like, what, I'm growing fruit. I've never, anyone, a gardener or like a landscaper, my father-in-law is, and he like cuts like branches and like out in Florida. And so it's like super hot and like sticky. And like, I'm like, just let them grow. It looks better that way. I'm sure of it. You know, just let them grow. Um, Because pruning and and it hurts, but it must be done so that the tree can be healthy. And so us Christians that we're bearing fruit in our life, God's going to come and prune. He's going to come and prune us. And it's that word prune literally means to cleanse. And that's what God does. It's a continual sanctification process in our Christian life is that no matter day one or day a million, God is constantly moving you onto his agenda and constantly um, pruning us and constantly growing us in the faith. And we must allow Christ to abide in our lives, to be present, to, uh, to not depart, to remain, and to be kept and held. Um, Jesus will abide in the lives of those that receive him joyfully. Look at verse six. It says, and so he made haste and came down and received him with joy. Isn't that awesome? I and mean, we could just end there and be like, and just pray and be out. But there's more to the story. But man, that's what it's all about. It's about allowing Christ to abide in your life. And then when he says, okay, it's time. Can you imagine Zacchaeus being up in the tree and all of a sudden Jesus says, come down, Zacchaeus. Like, whoa, like, I just wanted to see you. How do you know my name? That's first, that's weird. Like, how do you know my name? I mean, you think about Zacchaeus, he... I'm sure his mom was, was the only one that ever used his first name. I'm sure no one even knew what his name was. I'm sure he was called plenty of names, but none of them his first. And so Zacchaeus, he, and Jesus calls him by his name and says, Zacchaeus, come down for today. I must abide in your life. I must, I must abide in your house. And you think about that. I mean, John chapter 10, verse 3 talks about, um, John 10, 3, it, it reads this. It says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I mean, this is the, the starting point of Zacchaeus' life being flipped, turned upside down. That was like Fresh Prince right there. Um, but his life was about to get flipped and turned upside down, and, and this was the starting point by Jesus calling him by his name. Now, Jesus knows our name, and if he knows our name, that means he knows more than just our name. That means he knows what we're doing. Out in the day, out at night, he knows what we're doing in, our, in, our, in, in secret, which is scary. I mean, Jesus knows us. He knows how many hairs on our head. For some of us, more than others, Barrett. But, um, but he knows how many hairs are on our head. You shouldn't sit in the front row. Um, but Jesus, he wants that abiding relationship in our lives, but it has to come. We have to welcome him. He's not going to barge his way in. Zacchaeus Zacchaeus' response in verse 6 was, um, 
was crucial. How are we going to respond when Jesus calls our name? How, when, when our number gets called, are we going to respond or are we going to fake a toe injury? Some of you guys are getting called to do certain things. I, I don't know what. You know, I was, um, I was uh, just working construction, doing floors, and, and, uh, and here I am um, in charge of a youth pastor. It's just nuts. I have no business being up here. It's not me, but it's Christ who lives in me. Um, I've almost been fired probably a hundred times because of things I've said. No, just kidding. But, um, but I'm, I'm no good. You know, I'm really no good. But as Jesus calls, he doesn't, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And that's, that's crucial and that's key is that you guys, don't, you guys aren't good. Neither am I. Sorry, I didn't burst your bubble. But ne- none of one of us are worthy or good. And yet God calls us. Why? To show how great he is. If God were to call the strongest, I mean, it would be, I mean, think of Gideon, right? Gideon had 300 guys, and he had like 10,000, and he kept on cutting it down, cutting it down, cutting it down until 300. And they go and they wipe out a Philistine army, not touching any, any of them. All they did is break their pots on this hill, and they started like, stabbing each other, right? I mean, there's no way that they could take credit for that. That's why God uses someone like me, because there's no way I could take credit for this. It was funny, is um, I've been studying and studying and studying like all week, and you know, I, I've taught, this is like the third time I've taught on a Sunday, and I, I normally don't get, uh, don't get nervous or anxious or anything like that. And, I mean, I teach the high schoolers twice a week, and so, you know, I'm, I'm the man, right? And so, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm pretty, pretty confident about myself. And, I mean, I just, this message, I, I, it was like studied in the flesh or something because nothing was going together, um, nothing. I, I literally finished my message, like, 30 minutes before I got up and, and, and taught the 8 a.m. service. And it was because God wanted to bring me, bring me to the place where I realized how terrible I am and how good he is. And if I would have prepared this awesome message, I mean self-righteous message, and I've been like, come here, come hither, you know, and hear what I have to say. Um, man, that, that would have been done in the flesh. And yet God uses uh, an idiot like me I cheated my way through 10th grade, honest story, I was homeschooled, and so we had switched on schoolhouse, so, true story, we had switched on schoolhouse, some of you homeschool moms know what that's all about, it's a computer program, well, anyways, I, I was smart enough to figure out the code, and so I figured out the code, and went to the end, and gave myself like a C, you know, got the answers, I gave myself like a C, because if, if I gave myself an A, my mom would know, like, Kyle, come on, I love you, but you, you know, and so, I gave myself a C pretty proud about that. Um, but that's, I didn't go to Bible college. Um, I, I'd like to. Uh, I, I didn't go to seminary or anything like that. But Christ calls the people that are most incapable. Christ calls the people that are most ineligible. Christ calls the people that are the likeliest candidates. Why? So he can make his name great. So he can show people how great, how good, how merciful he is through using sinners like me and like Zacchaeus. Look at verse 7. I mean, in, in, um, you're darned if you do, darned if you don't here. You know, uh, the, the Jews hated Zacchaeus because he was a, um, because he was a, a Jewish working, or Jew working for the Romans. And um, they hated Jesus because he hung out with them. And so you look at verse 7, it says, But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. It's like, man, they can't do anything right. First they hate Zacchaeus because he's rich and he's like stealing. And then they hate Jesus because he's hanging out with them. So it's like, man, all this murmuring, all this complaining, everything is going on here. And the crowd starts judging. And the, crowd, the, the crowd's view of Jesus and of Zacchaeus is, um, is crazy. But, but look at when we are obedient, 
um, things get tough. Zacchaeus was obedient, and he comes and he invites Jesus into his house. Um, and Zacchaeus was the most unlikely person in the world that you would think Jesus, the son of God, the sinless man, would be hanging out with. Um, let me ask you guys a question real quick. Is um, I, I have, I have a, a daughter. Um, I'm actually dedicating my newborn. She's like two and a half weeks old next service, so that's cool. Um, and... Um, I have to take, we're potty, or she's been potty trained for a while now, which is actually the worst thing in the world because you actually have to take them to the bathroom. You can't just let them pee in the diaper and change it whenever you get, it's convenient, right? So you gotta like, you gotta like take them to the bathroom. And what's the one thing you do when you, when you, when you take your, your daughter, your son to a public, especially daughters, you know, what do you do when, 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 you, when you take them to the bathroom? What's the one thing you tell them when you take them to a public bathroom? Don't you dare touch a thing. If you do, I'm gonna spank you or a million times, right? You touch something, you're getting spanked and then we're leaving, right? And, and so you tell them, don't touch anything. If you touch something, that's it. It's the end of your life, right? Um, and so, inevitably, your kids have to go to the bathroom when? When you're about to eat at a public restroom. You're like, Ugh, you know, can you hold it like four hours until we go home? Um, and they can't. Um, I'm, I'm teaching her last night. Gosh darn Last night, I, I'm te- we're teaching her how to go to the bathroom by herself and climb up the deal and all this kind of stuff. And, and so she's climbing up and she just pees everywhere. I'm like, Ugh. better at my house than in a public restroom, though. You know? And so you take them to a public restroom and say, don't touch anything. And so my routine is, you know, I, I take her and I'm holding her the whole time. And, and so everyone knows you don't touch the handles anywhere. You pray that it's just a swinging one, right? So you kick the door open and then you <laughs> run in real quick and make sure it doesn't hit you in the butt, right? And so you got her and, and you're walking, right? And you're dodging people. Like, there's this guy, this dirty guy coming with his hands that just dripping wet. And you're like, you know, and, and someone, some, one of you guys see me at church, and then all of a sudden you try to shake my hand in the bathroom, it's not going to happen. Uh, I'll just give you an elbow, um, you know. So don't even try to shake my hand in the public restroom. So um, you, you go to the bathroom, and you hope it's one of the swings that, that go in, right? So you can just kind of kick it and do this one again, and then shut it with your foot and you're holding it like that. And then you, you grab the toilet paper and then you're wiping down the seat and then you grab one of those little things and you hope that it, you know, and then you hope it doesn't break or fall in there. And then it, it always does. So you have to grab another one. And then what I started doing, I just grabbed three and do like one, one, one. <laughs> Who else does that? Okay, four honest people out there. Um, so you, you, you do that. Um, it's a good story. I can't remember where I was at. Okay, so, um, the, the, you know, she does her thing and then don't touch anything, whatever you do, you know, or else you're fired. Um, so then you, you, everyone knows you do this when you flush it and then you, you kind of hit the thing, hope you don't fall. If you fall, it's just game over. You're just, you're going home. You, I don't care, Sarah and the wife and the kids are staying at Red Robin. I'm going home to, to shower. Um, I've never fallen though, so, um, so anyways... And then you go, and first you've got to wipe off the, the, the counter before you wash your hands, you know, and then you've got to lean Bella over, and she's got to wash her hands, and, and you just pray to God that it's got one of the automatic things, you know, and then you pray to God that it's got an automatic toilet paper or a paper towel dispenser, and then where's the best place for a trash can in a public restroom? By the door, okay? We're all the same. I'm not the only weirdo. We're all the same. And so you open it, and, and you know, and then you, you, you know, you hold it with your foot, you tell her to run, and then you, real quickly, and you got out scot-free, okay? Um, but you, you, look at, you look at verse 7, and you say, man, I am so glad that Jesus does not treat us like a public restroom. 
I am so glad that Jesus does not see us as dirty and doesn't want to touch us. Could you imagine the conversation between Jesus and God before he comes down to be our Savior? Uh, they, uh, Father, I, uh, I don't... They, they wipe their, their butts and they eat with the same hands and I, I don't want to be a part of that. I have to live as a baby and, and do baby stuff and I can't talk. And I mean, talk about humiliating and humbling. Could you imagine if Jesus said, you know what, eh, I'd rather not because you guys are like public bathrooms. Zacchaeus, you're like, you're like the public bathroom at the beach, the worst of the worst. <laughs> Everyone knows that kind. But here's the thing is that Jesus does not treat us that way. He doesn't. He didn't treat Zacchaeus that way, so why do we as Christians treat other non-Christians or people of the world that way? Why do we do it? Well, I don't. I do. And I don't mean to, but I still do. It's like, we are called to be in the world, but not of it. We're called to be salt and light. Well, my daughter's only going to date Tim Tebow. Um, I'm only watching PG movies. Um, There's no way... I'm going any over 62 miles an hour because sometimes, you know, ceiling drops and we can't live our lives that way. I'm not saying go a million miles an hour, do whatever you want, tell your kids to date. That's not what I'm saying. If you think that, you're missing the point. The point is this, is that we are called to be salt and light. How can we be that if we're not, if we're not investing in the lives of those that need Jesus? Jesus doesn't treat us and he doesn't treat Zacchaeus like a public restroom. So you look at us and our lives as, man, okay, if Jesus is who we take our cues from and, and he, uh, he's who we, our example is, is from, then how do we properly do that as Christians? Jesus saw someone in Zacchaeus that, Jesus saw Zacchaeus as someone that needed salvation, not a public restroom. You know, it's funny, Zacchaeus' name means pure. And it means pure, and that's how Jesus saw him. That's how Jesus sees us when we accept him into our lives. Jesus sees us as pure. He doesn't see us as, 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 as sinners. That doesn't give us a license to do, well, I'm saved by grace, brother. Yeah. You know, that's not what that means. But God, has, God sees us as pure. When, when God, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ crucified in our lives. That's what he sees if we've come to a saving faith in him. And so we should treat others as Christ treats them. You know, Jesus doesn't equip the called. He calls the equipped. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting verse 26, it says, For you see that you're calling, brethren, <coughs> that you may not, um, excuse me, for you see you're calling, brethren, that not many according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many uh, noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God has chosen the meek, the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are, are not to bring to nothing the things which are. God, that's how, I mean, God uses donkeys to talk to people. It's crazy. You know, it's not like we have to be these awesome evangelists, preachers, you know, you know, Mr. Rogers, we don't have to be that. God will, God will create us. God has created us in his image and we are made for his purpose. And so God will use that. Verse eight, it says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 
look, Lord, I have given half of my goods to the poor, and if, and that word if is actually since, and if and since I have uh, taken uh, anything from anyone of, by false accusation, I will restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus had another choice to make. The first choices were, do I seek him? You know, like I tried, but I couldn't, um, sorry. Or he could have chose to run down the street and get, make a way. And he chose that. Here he's faced with another choice. And his choice was um, two options. Bella, she's like, uh, she'll be three in July. And she, she tries to tell me, dad, you have two options. I'm like, what? I give the options, okay? You have one option. Listen to me. Um, she, we just had a newborn and, and, um, and she's been sleeping in our bed for like the, you know, for a couple weeks. And, and she's like, mommy and daddy sleep in the bed and I sleep in the bed and Lindley can sleep on the floor. That's my new daughter. So option number one, she only gives me, she said I had two options, but she only gave me one. And I was like, no, no, no. How about you sleep in your big girl bed? We just got her big girl bed. Thank you, Pastor Nick. Uh, we get, she got a big girl bed. And, and so we, you sleep in your bed. Mommy and daddy sleep in her bed. And Lindley will sleep in our bed because uh, mommy has to feed her, right? And she's like, no, you have two options. I can, sleep on the, I can sleep on the bed and Lindley can sleep on the ground. I'm like, no, you don't understand. That's not how this works. She's crazy, if you've ever met her. Um, and so he has uh, two options here. One, feel bad. Feel bad about his past and say he was sorry. Good option. Or option number two is repent and make it right by showing his repentance by his actions. It's not enough just to say that we're sorry. It's about change. And Zacchaeus realized that he needed to make a change in his life. Second Corinthians chapter 7, um, verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. That's what we just saw. But on the other hand, it says that... Um, not, not to be uh, regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. There's the two options. We can either be f- sorry about what we did and just beat ourselves up over it and condemn ourselves, but we know there's no condemnation in Christ, but we, d- we kind of forget that part of the Bible when we're going through things. And we beat ourselves up and we feel terrible about it and we're like, oh, well, I can't go to God now. Or we do what's right and we have that godly sorrow that leads to repentance. You know, I think of it this way. It's either we do a, a, a 360, which is we feel sorry for a while, but we, we kind of work our way back around doing the same thing, or we do a 180. You know, that's the difference between repentance and asking for forgiveness is forgiveness is good, but if there's no, there's no repentance in it, then, then it's all for naught. Um, so he had two options, um, and he, he made the right choice. Zacchaeus, I, I believe that in between verse 7 and verse 8, um, Zacchaeus was hanging out with Jesus. You know, he's going over to his house for dinner, and... Um, or actually lunch, and uh, somewhere between seven and eight, they would have had a meal together, and they would have hung out together. Zacchaeus was loaded. I mean, he had any money, you know, anything that he wanted, um, he had. And so he would have hung out and spent time with him, and I think that spending time with Jesus, that's what changed uh, Zacchaeus' life. It wasn't this one time, oh, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. And no, it was spending time with Jesus. It was Jesus abiding in his house. And so I think it was Jesus' undeserved love and compassion and, and, care, um, and care for Zacchaeus that, that caused change in Zacchaeus' life. And, and that's the key, is that as a result of Zacchaeus' repentance, that's the key, repentance, it brought forth salvation. Being sorry, you know, isn't enough. It's about change. And verse 10 kind of sums up the whole, the whole book of Luke. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And so 
this is kind of like the statement verse of all the gospel, I mean, the whole Bible, especially the gospel of Luke. And um, Jesus has come to seek and save that which is lost. And so automatically you're like, well, I've been saved, you know, 30 years. I've been saved longer than you've been alive. I've been saved, you know, I'm like old enough to be your, your grandfather. It's like, and I'm not lost. Well, I think every single one of us, no matter where we're at in our, our Christian life, is that sanctification process is, is still going. Is There's things that we lose, you know, we, we lose... Um, we, we lose things. We, we, we get out of touch with, with God. We get out of touch with our family members. You know, are you, lost in, in, are you lost in the crowd? You know, do you allow the crowd to dictate like how Zacchaeus could have? Do we allow, um, are we lost in our relationship with Jesus? Are we lost in our relationship with our kids? Do your kids know you as dad that works or, or mom that works and that's it? You know, maybe you're not lost. Maybe you know Jesus, but maybe you haven't surrendered everything to him. Are you lost in that? Because Jesus doesn't want some. He wants all. He won't take some. He'll take all. And that's, that's the key, guys, is are we lost in our pride? You look at Zacchaeus, man. He could have easily got lost in his pride. He could have easily allowed himself, I'm rich, I'm loaded, I'm, there's no way I'm climbing that tree, I'm gonna look dumb. I'll buy my salvation. He didn't allow his pride to get in the way. And you look at... Um, Key in Luke chapter 15, we'll close here. Luke 15, verse 4. Um, Jesus went out of his way to go to Jerusalem or to go to um, Jericho. A lot of commentators believe that this wasn't like he actually had to go out of his way to go into Jericho. And you guys remember the, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? That was like on a chariot, you know, going out there and he was seeking God. And, and so God, God sent someone to him. Out of the blue, right? I mean, there was no way. I mean, this guy was seeking the Lord. He was literally craving. He was, he was thirsting. He, was, he, had, had a, um, he had a desire to know, to know the Lord, and yet God sent someone his way. And Zacchaeus, the same, man. He's in this pagan city. The city was actually cursed. It was a cursed city. Remember after Jericho, the walls fell down? Remember that whole deal? And they blew trumpets and, and stuff, and, and uh, God said, whoever builds this city, um, you know, will, will be cursed, and their son's son. And, and so God goes out of his way to go to this cursed city to save one guy. We don't, we don't have any other record in here that ha- him saving anyone else in Jericho. We have one guy, and that's enough. You look at Luke chapter 15, verse 4. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not have the ninety-nine, in the, or does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which is lost. I say to you like, that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And this is the heart of our Lord, is that he will come after the one. He will come after those that are lost. And maybe you're in a spot in, in your life and you've been saved forever and you just the fire has died, or you're just kind of, eh, not feeling it anymore. It's like, man, that's, that's the first step into backsliding. God wants to, Jesus said he must abide in our lives. He must abide in, a, in our house. He must. He must be kept continually, holding us, remain, be present in our lives. And that's my prayer for you guys, is that, that Jesus would be present in your lives, and that Others would see Jesus through your lives. And that's my prayer for, for me up here as, as I teach and Pastor Ted and Pastor Cody and Pastor Nick as they, as they teach and, and anyone here at Reliance Church is that, that you guys would see Jesus through our lives. You wouldn't see me, but you would see Jesus.
And that's only possible if he's abiding in your life. 